Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the laughter. <laughs> the heroes. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go Ghostbusters. And the honesty. What's up, Norm? My nipples. It's freezing out there. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your old pal, Spearsy. And Chuck Coverley sitting in the shadow of Philadelphia. And today we take our act across the pond. It's our new series, Just Missed the Biscuit, songs that reached number two in the UK but got no further. What do you want for nothing? Rubber biscuit? All right. So ready for this? Take a deep breath. This episode of Stuck in the 80s is sponsored by the 80s Cruise. Join your Stuck in the 80s hosts along with MTV VJs Mark Goodman, Alan Hunter, and downtown Julie Brown in spring 2024 for a week-long trip aboard the Royal Caribbean Mariner of the Seas. Performers will include 38 Special, Air Supply, The English Beat, Soft Cell, Debbie Gibson, Sebastian Bach, Stephen Piercy of Rat, Ray Parker Jr., Sheena Easton, Wang Chung, Midnight Star, Animotion, Real Life, Escape Club, When in Rome, Tommy Two-Tone, and more. The 2024 cruise is officially sold out now, but you can still join the wait list. Go to www.the80scruise.com for more information. Hey, gang, remember our series of shows called Close But No Cigar? Well, we finished that back in June, so we thought it's time to see if the magic still works for the UK. So today we start a new series called just missed the biscuit i love that name give our friend cliff rosie in the uk credit for the name and for giving us the first draft of these songs by the way it was so sad to see the 80s end and the the close but no cigar and of course i i kind of have this affinity for the number twos you know you just you almost made it you were so close you just didn't get there and of course you know i made a whole cd set of these, I don't know how many CDs I made, like five or six CDs of all number two songs. And we said, you know what? And there were other charts that existed in the world during the 70s and 80s and 90s and now. So let's see how, you know, how these songs fared on other charts um, or what we got from the other charts. So that's kind of how we decided to take this across the pond and see how the UK uh, songs fared. No, it's, it's a good idea. And uh, it took us a few weeks to kind of get our act together get some charts and take a look and see what resonated. So like we did with the U S we're going to start in the seventies. I think in the U S we started in 76. We're going to go back a little further to 1973, but we're going to cover three years in today's show. So we're going to cover 73, 74 and 75. We will each profile a song that got to number two in the UK. We'll tell you how well it did in the U S and then we'll tell you what, song kept it off the top of the charts in the uk and we'll have a little fun in between <laughs> so listening to these songs going back I, I was not not the ones that we picked because i think all the ones that we picked we knew right like we went through and we said yeah i know this song i know this song but i did give a listen to some of the other songs and some of them i listened to and i'm like yeah i can't see that being a hit and then other ones i'm like how is this not a hit like some of the songs were really fun but it's just it's it's strange. I was just uh, chatting up with with Lee 
uh, from the San Francisco Bay Area Cruiser Group. And uh, we were saying it, it's funny how songs, even in the same language, you know, because the UK, obviously, they speak English, how they didn't have a lot of crossover with some yeah. of the songs. So. Well, what I thought was interesting, the three songs that I picked, yes, I know these three songs. What was surprising to me was of those three songs, the three songs that kept them out of the top spot, two of them I've never heard before. One, one yes. And, and you'll know, obviously, which one that is when we get to it. <laughs> but the first two, it, it was like a complete uh, opening up a, a fresh book and re- reading about someone for the first time. I literally just stunned and I'm like, I never heard this song, never heard of this person. So that'll be a little bit of an education for everybody. And if you're in the UK, one of our UK listeners, I mean, try not to skewer us too much for our stupidity about not knowing some of these bands that meant so much to you back then. Uh, keep in mind also, we were at this point, 1973, I was what? Seven years old. So it's not like uh, at, when you're seven years old, seven, eight or nine. You're you're at the mercy of what your parents are playing. On, oh yeah, on the not only the car radio, but you know, at home on the record player. And I'm sure, at this stage in my life, I was being subjected to a lot of uh, Perry Como and uh, Neil Diamond and Engelbert Humperdinck. Uh, I, I'm sure those three come to mind. I, my mom still goes to see them perform when she can. So. I can't imagine how old Engelbert Humperdinck is now or uh, Paul Anka, but she'll go see him. So, and that's, oh, sure. so those are the songs I know. I didn't know these songs. And t- even the songs that, that were number two, I didn't know till, till much, much later. So really? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's just... going to be songs that we don't know. I, I picked the number two song when we get the for, for 73, just because my mom used to listen to that group all the time. So I yeah. grew up with them when i was a kid but the second song i mean the song that kept it out of the top spot no idea yeah yeah it's crazy okay let's get things started here's my pick from That's the Gene Genie by David Bowie. And and yes, of course, I know this song. I know it from hearing it in the 80s, though. I mean, this is one of those tunes. uh, Any David Bowie tune is a tune that was uh, instantly immortal, you know. So, yes, of course, I remember this. Now, do I know it's from the 1973 or do I know it's from the album Aladdin Sane? No. (laughs) But (laughs) Aladdin Sane. I can picture the album cover, but yeah. Yeah, so it was recorded with his backing band, which was then known as the Spiders from Mars. Uh, according to David Bowie, quote, it was a smorgasbord of imagined Americana. Uh, it was written on the tour bus uh, between concerts in Cleveland and Memphis, and Bowie would later describe it as his first New York song. Uh, allegedly recorded in just 90 minutes. Obviously a huge hit in England. Any guess where it peaked out at in the U.S., Chuck? Uh, I can't, I, I honestly do not remember this song at all from that time period. So probably not that high in the U S yeah. 71. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think I heard this until much, much later going back and, and kind of re-examining or taking a look and rediscovering or discovering for the first time earlier 
stuff from David Bowie. And it probably wasn't until the 80s that he really, you know, came onto my radar. I, I'm trying to think if I had any music of my own in 73. I know I didn't. I, I'm sure the first album I bought that was just for me was probably a Kiss album. And it would have been probably closer to 76. So 73, Young Spearsy has no extra coin laying around. So like Destroyer, what came out 70s? I would have been like either Love Gun, Love Gun or Destroyer. I had I had up up until Dynasty and Double Platinum in the late 70s, I had everything from them except for the original, the very first one. I don't think I had Dressed yeah. to Kill, but I had every every other one. And then during a move, at some point in the 90s, I lost all of them, which is was a very sad realization for me once I was like, hey, where's my album? Back, back then, you didn't need to own them all. You just need to know somebody who owned what you didn't have. Right. So if you want, if you wanted to listen to Hotter Than Hell go over to Tim's house or if you, you wanted to hear uh, uh kiss alive too, go over to Jimmy's house. I remember listening. There was somebody who lived in the apartment complex that I lived in when I was a kid. And I remember sitting in her living room. Cause she'd just gotten this new album and it was so amazing. And like, all the kids in the neighborhood went in there and sat there and listened to Peter Frampton comes alive. And we all just yeah. sat there like amazed that it was a live concert, you know, in, in her living room. Anyway, if you're curious what uh, kept David Bowie out of the charts uh, in 1973, it's this song by the artist Little Jimmy Osmond. Yes, obviously that's long-haired lover from <laughs> Liverpool. So is that is that why it was number one? Because it mentioned something, a place in the UK. I I I would love to know the rationale as to how this got to be number one. It I saw it and I thought Jim Jimmy Osmond is that right? Can that be right? And yeah. Don't they mean Donnie? And but no one ever called him Little Donnie. And no, so Little Jimmy was the youngest sibling of the Osmond family. He did top the charts in 73. He is still, I believe, the youngest person ever to top the UK charts. He was nine years old. That's crazy. This song fared better in the US than Gene Genie. It, it made it to number 38. Wow. Jimmy's still around. He, um, he's he got an eclectic career. He recorded a, he got a gold record in Japan for a song called My Little Darling. He would go to star in movies and television. He was in the 1978 movie, The The Great Brain. He he appears in two episodes of the TV series Fame. Um, but he's been sort of out of the headlines. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't really in the headlines, right. but he's been, <laughs> he's been, he's been off the stage uh, and out of the music scene since 2018. He had a stroke. And so oh. he's, as he recovers from that, he's, he still works with the uh, Osmond Entertainment Company. Go figure, number one song. What's yours from 1973? All right, so my song from 1973 is this song by The Carpenters.
And yes, that was yesterday once more uh, to hit number two, uh, August 18 of that year. And looking back at the reason I picked this, several reasons. One, my mom listened to the Carpenters all the time when I was a kid, used to sing it around the house all the time. Their album, A Christmas Portrait, still gets played, you know, the entire, every Christmas over and over. Love the the album, love the Carpenters. To me, she has one of the most amazing voices of any singer of all time. So when I saw that in the list, I said, oh, I got to pick this. But then I remembered that when... I was compiling the Close But No Cigar uh, series for the, the U.S. Billboard hits. They had five number one, uh, five number two songs on that list. They were blocked Jeez. five times in the early 70s. Five times. In fact, they are tied with Madonna for the most number two songs on the U.S. charts. Uh, so, yeah, kind of amazing. And I was like, hey, it's same thing over there. So why not pick this one? Um So the song, ironically or maybe not ironically, the song was also a number two uh, hit in the U.S. kept out by uh, Jim Croce's Bad, Bad Leroy Brown. Um, it was their biggest-selling record worldwide, and it is uh, their best-selling single in the U.K., and Richard Carpenter uh, actually said that this was his favorite song that he ever wrote uh, you know, for the Carpenters. But yeah, love that. Love that song. The Carpenters are one of those bands that I, I didn't, didn't penetrate our household, but you, you would hear them on the radio. And I, I never knew much about him until there was that TV movie about Karen Carpenter in 1989. I don't know if you remember that. I one. think I do. It was, it was called, I think it was called the Karen Carpenter story. And so I, I had no idea what had happened to her. And I'm like, it's like watching the movie, a love story and not realizing that the girl dies. Right. <laughs> oh, you didn't know that she was dead. The first time I watched a love story, <laughs> I turned in like five minutes late. Oh, and so I'm I'm watching the movie and I'm like this is a, this is a good movie and she gets sick I'm like she'll get better. <laughs> She's not getting better. She's not getting. Better. I'm like this is good. you're gonna be fucking kidding me. We're gonna kill her. <laughs> it's the same thing with the carpenter thing. I was like, oh, well, she dies. <laughs> she can't die. She's the main character. Yeah, oh, yeah. God. I remember the day that that happened. I remember my stepfather telling me because he knew how much. You know, the Carpenter's music meant to my mom and, and me growing up. And every Christmas, you know, we just played that Christmas album yeah. over and over. So I remember him that. telling me and I was just, you know, kind of bummed because that was that was probably as a kid, the first person that was that was my music that I listened to that had died. I wasn't ever really a huge Elvis fan as a kid. Like, you know, I knew about him, but he didn't get a lot of play in our family. Sure. Uh, but I do remember the day that he died. Um yeah, but this was one that kind of hit. It was like, no, I grew up listening to her music all the time, and yeah. yeah. But anyway, Crazy. so so this, what kept it out of the top? Yeah, was this song from English glam rocker Gary Glitter. <laughs> I have never heard this song before in my life. So listening, I had to listen to it a couple times. Maybe in the deep recesses of my brain, it 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 
it might be there. It, it's, it's called I'm the leader of the gang. I am. Hey, yeah, it's it's one that if I heard it, I would go, hey, I might have heard that. It kind of sounds like a 70s-ish song. Uh, yeah, I, I, so anyway, it, it was covered by the Spice Girls, and it appeared in Spice World at the end of the, the movie. Uh, you should know this. <laughs> so what year was that? I think it was like 97 or so, sometime around yeah. then that Spice World was. Yeah. But anyway, it was, it was uh, his first number one single in the U.K., uh, singles chart spending four weeks at the top of the chart in July. I think we all know the rock and roll. What is it? Rock and roll part one. Hey, like we all know that. Sure. This kind of has that feeling like it could be another stadium type kind of song that you could get the crowd pumped with. But I oh, maybe only the soccer match. I don't think they're playing that in any U.S. Uh, sport. Yeah, for events. soccer, I was just thinking, I was just thinking a soccer game, this is perfect. Yeah. Um, so, although the song failed to chart in the U.S., it was actually covered by Brownsville Station, uh, the, the band that did Smoke in the Boys Room, and it did reach number 48 on the Billboard Hot 100. So, wow, I was surprised to Jeez. find that. So, he, he apparently had made a cameo appearance in the movie Spice, the Spice World, the Spice Girls, but it was cut after his, uh, his questionable you know, decisions that he made that got him into legal trouble. And yeah. uh, the song also appeared in the movie, the full Monty in, in 97. So that's the Gary glitter story. I'm just still, I'm really upset about the whole spice world thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and what you have no reason that to clip. So I went back and I watched that. the clip and I'm like, yeah, I remember the clip, but I had no recollection of what song they were singing at that time. <laughs> It's it's been twenty plus years. When I disparage the nineties, which I, I do on occasion, <laughs> it's it's because of stuff like the Spice Girls and all the boy bands. Oh yeah, and uh, the Spin Doctors, stuff like that. There, there's some things I like about the nineties, like a <laughs> Green Day and Smashing Pumpkins. Sure, and, uh, but but the whole goofiness of girl bands and boy bands and Britney Spears and all that kind of stuff that just that just just is such a horrible dark cloud. Were you were you decade. into the grunge scene, the Seattle grunge scene? No, I tried. I got to help me. I tried. <laughs> I could. I bought the soundtrack to Singles. You know the movie, the oh yeah, the Cameron Crowe movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a good soundtrack, but that's about as much grunge as I need. That's about as much you as know? you do need. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's fast forward to 1974. Uh, here's my pick of a song that got to number two. But miss the biscuit. Drop of a hat. Momentarily out of action. Temporarily out of Yep, that's Killer Queen by Queen. And I would say, again, this is another song that I didn't hear until maybe middle half of the 80s when I bought like a Greatest Hits CD for Queen. I, I did have that. That was the one that was like a dark blue, right? And it had, had, the, Queen, mm. had the Queen logo on the front. It was the Greatest Hits or was it like a reddish color? They had a- oh, 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 that's that's yes, yes, yes. That one, yes, exactly. This is from the 1974 album Sheer Heart Attack, which I did not own. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, don't, I don't think. I think the first Queen album I owned was probably the game i think everyone had to own that at some point uh anyway this actually was somewhat popular in the u.s it got up to number 12 uh freddie mercury who wrote it said it's about a high-class call girl uh 
It's been described as the beginning of the band's quote-unquote radio sound. Uh, one critic specifically called it a cross between David Bowie and Wings, hmm. which I, I think that's a, a fair That might be accurate, comparison. yeah. Brian May, in a more recent interview, called this song a turning point for the band. He said, quote, I still enjoy listening to it because there's a lot to listen to, but it never gets cluttered. The first time I heard Freddie playing that song, I was lying in my room feeling very sick. After Queen's first American tour, I had hepatitis, and then I had very bad stomach problems and had to be operated on. So I remember just lying there hearing Freddie play this really great song and feeling sad because I thought, I can't even get out of bed to participate in this. <laughs> he says, uh, but then I got fixed up, thank God. Uh, and when I came out, we were able to finish off Killer Queen. They left some space for me, and I did the solo, which, by the way, is amazing. Uh, and I had strong feelings about one of the harmony bits in the chorus, so we had another go at that, too, unquote. How about that? You go on your first U.S. tour and you get hepatitis. Jeez. <laughs> uh i just spent i just spent what was it 14 hours trying to get from new york to florida on last monday oh, <laughs> it's a week, well that, a week that's ago. right you were sitting in jfk for a while right waiting for your flight yeah yeah you i was messaging with yeah. you and we were talking about this show and i was like hey i want to do this show and but i i honestly thought i'd be back monday afternoon hell we, i was planning maybe we could even record it that day and we missed one flight and then our next flight got delayed five times over. Like, and then I've been sick ever since because nobody spends 14 hours in a, in a, in a New York airport and doesn't come home. Oh, right, right, right. No, it's, it's not the vid, but it's, (laughs) it's a pretty bad head cold. It's it's the plane crud. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I just, it was just the longest day of my life. And I was, we rolled back into our house at 1 a.m., and I, I drank what was left of the bourbon that we had left in a bottle here. <laughs> and I went straight to bed and I haven't felt right since. So <laughs> I'm still, my voice sounds a little croaky today. That's, that's blame it on blame it on the bourbon. Blame it on the bourbon. It was a hundred proof. There you go. Williams, so it could have been that anyway. So what kept it out of the uh, uh, first uh, spot? Yeah. I thought you might ask that. So I did some notes. <laughs> it's this song by David Essex. Oh, is he my- That song is called Gonna Make You a Star. And I don't think I've heard it again before today. Ever, ever. No, this is the first time. Yeah. First time listening to it. I had no recollection. I mean, we know David Essex from, uh, what's the song that he did? Rock, Rock On. On. Yeah. You know it from Rock On. But, but the version of Rock On that got famous in the U.S., was a cover version. That's right. In 1989. Michael Damien. Michael Damien. Yes. Yeah. So uh, David Essex was a, an English singer, songwriter, and actor. He, I guess he, he had 19 songs in the top 40 in the UK. So I, I feel horrible for not knowing who he is, but I'm not British. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So I, I can imagine. I see. I see the British listeners right now going, "What the hell? Oh, son of a bitch! How do you Spirzy. not know this song?" And I, 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 I don't know. Oh man, David Essex. Um, good for you uh, for getting this song to number one, and uh, for keep for keeping uh, Queen out of the top spot. That must that's a badge of honor. Yes. Anyway, what's what's your 1974 song? So my 1974 hit, uh, since I live in the shadow of Philadelphia, is this classic by the Stylistics. course that is you make me feel brand new uh love this song love the band uh grew up listening to all of that philly sound and I, I don't even think that i knew that there was such a thing as the philly sound when i was a kid of course all the radio stations played all of those songs growing up so i heard them all the time my mom always had the radio on so i always you know heard these songs but what an incredible tune um, i mean there's no wonder why when i go to karaoke i'm usually wanting to sing one of these songs and in fact back in 1997 the year that spice world came out i won the new jersey <laughs> state karaoke championship and competed in florida <laughs> competed in orlando at the uh american gladiators arena for the national championship <laughs> and this was the song that i chose yep oh my god yeah, this is the song that i won uh the it, it was some company that was promoting something with like pioneer was huge in karaoke in the nineties and they've had this national coast to coast, um, talent thing. And yeah, so I sang this song, but that's, I, I never knew that about you. Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I loved, I loved growing up as a kid, the, the falsetto part, like is just right in your range when you're a kid. And then I remember, you know, sure. I can't wait till I have a lower voice and I can sing the other part. And then, you know, <laughs> and then there was a certain point in my life when I could sing both, very well i still sometimes sing this but maybe maybe uh, I, I would do it on the 80s cruise but it's a 70s song so i can't yeah so anyway yeah. so this ballad trades off lead vocals with the tenor arian love he sings the lower part my love that part and then russell Tompkins <laughs> jr sings the falsetto uh and there is a longer five minute 30 second version on their 1973 album rock and roll baby uh, but that was never released as a single. So it was remixed and you know cut down to four minutes, whatever. And that's the one that we uh, that was released as a uh, a single. So it was written, and, and I can't talk about the Philly sound without talking about uh, Tom Bell and Linda Creed, who were kind of looked at as maybe the founders of the Philadelphia sound. They teamed up with the stylistics uh, for the hits You Are Everything, Betcha by Golly Wow, uh, Break Up to Make Up, and I'm Stone in Love with You, which was also written by Anthony Bell. So Tom Bell also produced the Spinners for Atlantic Records, yielding five gold albums with them, including the hits I'll Be Around, Could It Be I'm Falling in Love, Games People Play, and Rubber Band Man. In fact, 1974, Bell was awarded the Grammy for Best Producer of the Year. So that's where that Philly sound came out of. And Hull and Oates, you know, he, uh, Daryl Hull is always talking about that Philly sound that influenced him uh, as, a, as a young guy growing up in Philadelphia. 
So sure. unfortunately, Linda Creed passed away in 86 at the age of 37 after being diagnosed at age 26 with breast cancer. And she may uh, be remembered for writing the lyrics to The Greatest Love of All, which was covered by Whitney Houston. A lot of people don't know it was a cover. It was originally done by George Benson. And um, she would actually die a few weeks before the song hit number one in May of 1986. Wow. Um, maybe not ironically, but this song is also a number two close with no cigar in the U.S. being blocked by Bo Donaldson in the Haywoods, Billy Don't Be a Hero. Well, geez, I know that one. Yeah, we all do, I think. Uh, covered by a lot of artists, Babyface, Simply Red, Boys to Men, Roberta Flack, Johnny Mathis. And believe it or not, doing the research for this, I found out Ronnie Millsap did a version of this. And even Rod Stewart did a version, I think, huh. Harry J. Blige. So covered a lot. Uh, incidentally, it was kept out uh, by another Philadelphia act singing this song. When will I see you? That is the three degrees. Uh, when will I see you again? Um, another song that was uh, huge in the Philadelphia area, written by the incredibly prolific songwriting team of Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff. Who? How many songs? So you've heard of Gamble and Huff, right? Sure. Yeah, you know, the Motown, yeah, Philly Sound, tons of songs. How many? Thirty-five hundred songs they wrote. What? <laughs> I'm like, really? That many songs? Well, they produced 75 gold, platinum, and multi-platinum certified songs. Yeah. So just a quick list of some of the songs that they collaborated on. Uh, I'm Going to Make You Love Me, Diana Ross and the Supremes. Me and Mrs. Jones by Billy Paul. If You Don't Know Me by Now, Harold Melvin, covered later by Simply Red. Uh, Backstabbers, Love Train, For the Love of Money, the OJs, Sound of Philadelphia, MSFB, which was also the vocals on that song are done by the three degrees. I don't know if you know that. It's an instrumental. And the three degrees thing back up on that. So many other songs. Well, anyway, I, I got to stop you. I got, I got, I got to stop you here. <laughs> Folks, the, the best part of this show is something we didn't have taped because when we opened up the notes about like an hour ago and Chuck and I are getting ready to record, and I realized he's changed his songs he, from the songs that I had studied to, to these songs. And I'm like, oh, man, you're going to have to give me two or three minutes to go to listen to these on YouTube. And you're like, ah, no worries. And he sings them for me, like not the whole song, but two or three lines from each one. I was like, my fantastic voice, Chuck Coverley. Thank you. <laughs> I wish I had taped it, though. Yeah, see, I made sure I did it before you were recording. <laughs> Maybe, you know what? Maybe I'll re-record some of these songs. And I'll release them for the patrons. We'll do that. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Yeah. It was so anyway. The story about this song is uh, Kenny Gamble sits at the piano, starts playing it, and the three degrees were Sheila Ferguson, uh, Fayette Pinkney, and Valerie Holiday. Sheila sang the lead on this song. He starts playing it, and she like has a tantrum. She's like, "This is song is too simple. It's too easy. You know, it doesn't take any talent to sing it," and didn't want to do it. Well. Anyway, he influenced her, you know, kind of convinced her, yeah, go ahead and do it. And it's a good thing because it went to number two 
uh, on the U.S. billboard chart being blocked by uh, Kung Fu fighting by Carl Douglas. But of course, it had more success in England, spent two weeks at number one and blocked out their Philly soul male counterparts, the stylistics. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, amazing. It's okay. another song that I, I just love. But anyway, so what <laughs> we're moving to 75 now, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm still I still wish I had taped your little mini concert earlier. I, <laughs> you saved me five minutes of my day and you gave me four minutes of complete audio delight. Uh, this song we've talked about many times. It's an important song because the role it played in establishing the 80s sound. Here's Roxy Music in 1975. Love is the Drug is from their album Siren. It peaked at number two, obviously. Got to number 30 in the U.S. So this is the first big song that American musicians hear from Roxy Music and begins to grow uh, what we would consider to be new, the future of New Wave. So it's... Uh, oh, sorry, I was wondering, who do you think their influence may have been? Because I always like when somebody puts that label that this was the beginning you know uh, of new wave like i wonder yeah. what, what influences well bowie was had. bowie predates them yeah so it could have but that's pretty tight on there but a lot of bands were doing what they heard you know their contemporaries sure. as well but yeah this this kind of kicked it off yeah it's a song about hitting the streets in search of some no strings attached sex uh in 2019, Brian Ferry told the Wall Street Journal, uh, quote, the image I had in mind for the song was a young guy getting into his car and zooming off into town looking for action at a club. So, but it is the distinctive baseline from this that has been cited by Niles Rogers as one of the main inspirations behind Sheik's Good Times, which in turn inspired Queen's Another One Bites the Dust. So you see how everything builds off of this. Yeah. It's that influence. And I mean, nothing is created in a vacuum, right? Yeah, probably not. I, I think there's some bands that can create something out of a vacuum. And Bowie's certainly one of them. I, I would think that to some degree, Roxy music, I, I think Niles Rogers is the king of taking a good idea and turning it into a great song. Yeah. I, I hope he knows the role that he's played in the eighties. Uh, bands like, Duran Duran owe him a lot. Oh, yeah. Or if you've ever heard the original version of uh, The Reflex and then hear the version that you know of The Reflex. <laughs> <laughs> so you've seen them in concert with Duran Duran, right? You've seen. She- I did yeah. this year. Yeah. It's she wow. throws such a, a, a great set at you that afterwards you're like, oh, yeah, we're also here for Duran Duran. Yeah, like that's yeah. how I felt. You know, I, we were like, okay, we can go home now. Oh no, there's another band playing. No, Who are these guys? Yeah, oh, Duran yeah. Duran. Yeah, it's 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 something else. Um, this song also has the distinction of being played at every single Brian Ferry and Roxy Music tour since its release. Every single tour, every single show. So, you have to. You gotta go. pay respect to your first. Sure, of course. Uh, 
What did it lose out to? Well, a name that we'll be saying quite a lot in this series. Uh, here's a song from David Bowie from 1975. This is ground control to Major Tom. You've really made the grade. And the papers want to know whose shirts you wear. Now it's time to leave the capsule if you dare. Space Oddity. Is there is there really much that we need to say about this song other than to say, do not confuse this with Starman. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, no, this um, is this is a, do you know this from the time or did you discover this? later oh i i probably from 1975 i probably it was so everywhere yeah. it peaked at number 15 i think i heard this i think i know this from the time. in the u.s yes in the u.s it was 15 so yeah you would have heard yeah. it. it would have been on something that you you saw uh, uh inspired by the movie 20 2001 space odyssey there's a sequel to the song that bowie would do in the 80s called ashes to ashes Peter Schilling, the German musician, he did a sequel to it called Major Tom. Völlig Lust, gelöst. <laughs> that song reached number 14 in the U.S., so it actually beat out uh, the original song, interesting enough. And um, it has a pivotal role in the, the movie uh, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty in 2013. Did you ever see that? Yes. I love this movie. So we're going, we're going to be going on a cruise next summer. And um, we're we're going to be going to Iceland is is where it kicks off. And oh. whenever I think of Iceland, I think of the end of that movie where the volcano is going to explode. Yeah. He's with that family. <laughs> volcano. <laughs> uh, yeah, great movie. Oh god, I just I cry like a baby like five times during that movie. I guess I, I can't. I'm not sure I could narrow down the five times, but uh, uh, yeah. Space Oddity is one of those ones that's going to live forever, and rightfully so. Uh, what's your pick from 1975? All right, so mine is one that I just, I, I can, whenever I hear this song, I'm riding around in my mom's red 1973 Volkswagen Beetle with the AM radio, like, blaring. And when I imagine that scenario, it's this song by Hot Chocolate. I believe in And, and of course, that is You Sexy Thing, which was perfect for a seven or eight year old me, you know, riding around <laughs> singing with my mom, You Sexy Thing. I think my mom did a great job of raising me on, <laughs> on music. Uh, I never knew they were a British band had no idea oh they're yeah you know, no i didn't know that when either. i was a kid i didn't you know you, you didn't think about that and when i got older i i think i found they were a british band probably within the last couple of years i i really didn't know uh the song was written by the lead singer errol brown along with bassist tony wilson and it was released as the second single from their second album hot chocolate while it did hit number two in the uk it only reached number three in the u.s uh in early 76 being blocked out by Three songs actually had to keep it out in the U.S. That was Love to Love You Baby by Donna Summer, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover by Paul Simon, and the theme from SWAT. The theme from SWAT. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the song was originally a B-side. Not convinced that the song would be a hit. The producer, Mickey Most, put it on the flip side of Blue Night, which I've never heard. 
and I'm wondering if any of our UK listeners have ever heard of the song Blue Night. Um, eventually, he remixed it, released it as an A-side months later, and it become became the group's best known and most commercially successful song. And we all know this song. Uh, coincidentally, the song was also featured in the movie Full Monty, along with several several other movies and TV shows, including Reservoir Dogs, Boogie Nights, That 70s Show, The Simpsons, which, you know, that's how you know you really made it, uh, along with several other uh, TV shows and movies. It was remixed in 87 and included in a compilation album, also featured in a Burger King commercial promoting the Double Whopper. And as a result, <laughs> it became the only song to enter the UK top 10 in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So how about that? Oh, wow. I mean, great song. You still hear it every once in a while. Sure, yeah, it's yeah. It's hard yeah. not to, you know, kind of dance a bit, sing along. The song was poised to take the number one spot. It was sitting there at number two, ready to pounce. And then this song from the number nine position leapfrogged all the way up to number one to block it. I see a little silhouette of a man. Scaramouche, Scaramouche, will you do the bandango? Thunderbolt and lightning, very, very frightening me. I'm just a poor boy, nobody loves me. He's just a poor boy from a poor family, sparing his life from this monstrosity. Yep, that is Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. I mean, what more, Steve, what more can be said about this song that we haven't already heard? Did you see the movie Bohemian Rhapsody? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so it tells the story of this song. It's it's sort of an amusing way <clears throat> for those who are kind of more casual fans of Queen. I wonder if if Queen. I wonder if Queen is still as beloved in Britain today as they were at the time. You know, we almost that movie came out when we were in London. Wow, we were over there for a Philadelphia Eagles game in 2018, and that movie came out, and we were we almost went to go see it. Like we were so close. But it was yeah, a long day. We were tired. We, we ended up not going. Our friends went to go see it there. And they just raved about it the entire time when we were there. It's, oh, you got to see this movie. You got to see this movie. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's so much could be said about this song, the movie. You know, one thing I do want to say about it is, you know, we probably everybody has seen the music video. Um, and that is credited as probably furthering the development of the music video medium because this was in 75. So music MTV hadn't even, ex- it wasn't going to exist for another six years and they were already making music videos, you know, so they were kind of pioneers in, in that uh, medium. It appears in so many polls, the greatest rock songs of all time uh, ranks as number 17 on Rolling Stones list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Sure. But anyway, it topped the UK chart for nine weeks plus another five weeks after Mercury died in 91. Wow. And to this day, it remains as the UK's third best-selling single of all time. Jeez. I have no idea what one and two are, <laughs> but they've got to be amazing if they're beating this song sure, out. Sure, yeah. Reached number one, Canada, Australia, uh, New Zealand, Ireland, Netherlands, sold over 6 million copies worldwide, peaked at number nine in the US charts in 76, but it did reach number two. It was a close no cigar song. In 92 after Wayne's World. Wayne's World. Yeah, I was going to say it so, had to be that. Um, can, can you hear Can you hear that part when they go into the rock solo without bobbing your head up <laughs> you and know. down? Uh, I can't. Yeah. So following the movie in 2018, it uh, became the most streamed song of all time from the 20th century. Jeez. 
That's crazy. <laughs> so in 2021, it was certified diamond for combined sales and digital streams, totaling more than 10 million units. So, so there you go. 1973, 74, and 75. Three songs they got to number two and the songs that kept them out in Britain. And I, I know there's a difference between the UK, Britain, and England. <laughs> please, please don't <laughs> hold us to that. In this I was very, very careful. In my in my wording of how I was saying things, I didn't want to say England too much because the Scots might get mad, or the, the Northern Irish might get mad, or sure. the you know the, the Welsh. These were UK. So we'll These were UK charts UK. that we're looking at. So you know what else? Ireland we... itself had its own chart. <laughs> but you know what Ireland doesn't have? The Seggies. Hey, it's time for Spin Me Round, the Seggy that Chuck invented. So, so happy to have him back on for this one. Uh, where did you come up with this idea, Chuck? Um, You know, I, I think it happened on the 80s cruise last year, right? Did it happen on the cruise or did I, I might have had it before you, then? You had pitched us, I think, the idea this years ago and, and we were like, okay. And then we weren't really sold on it until you actually did it during the short trivia sessions on the cruise. And then we realized and how saw popular. All those hands going up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. All those hands went up and I was like, see, see, because <laughs> you originally said, no one's going to get this, <laughs> you know, and the one that you were going to play today, you actually got, I got So I was very impressed. Yeah. Well, I, it takes a while to just kind of, thankfully my brain isn't, isn't really screwed on straight this week. So I think that's what helped. Anyway, this is the segment where we play a bit of a song backwards. If you get it right, you enter it into the drawing for the postal friendly bottle opener. So when when Brad gets back from his European vacation, maybe he can he can send out some more bottle openers. I hope I actually saved everybody's address while he was gone. <laughs> anyway, from episode six seventy four, here was the mystery clip. That's Road to Nowhere by Talking Heads. Great tune. Still can't wait to see Stop Making Sense in theaters again. I, I think there's a date now for that. It may not be till October. Uh, Are they? They're going to be releasing that in 4K for streaming. I hope at some point. Oh, I, they better. Uh, okay, so we had some winners. There's a lot of winners, and so in that case, I always allow Chuck to take the honors. Take a deep breath. Winners include Todd C. Berman in Coney Island, Ed from West Seattle, Shan Nichols, Cliff from somewhere north of Detroit, Phil from Adelaide, Stony Stitt, Chris Deep Cut Sampson, Terry in Perth, Willie Araldi. Kevin Wunsch, Strubes, Martina in Vancouver, Nate Chops Johnson, Scott in Music City, John Ross from Charlotte, North Carolina, Anonymous Dave, Lee from Hashtag San Francisco Bay Area, 80s Cruisers, Library John in Northern Michigan, eh? Dave P, Sharian Oviedo, is that right? Oviedo. Oviedo, let's do that again. <laughs> Sherry in Oviedo. Anthony S. Donnie Gürtel. That's German. Rhymes with metal. Ah, oh, see, no, it's Gürtel. Rhymes with Myrtle. <laughs> Come on, Donnie. Todd in Minnesota. Dan Witt. Kelly in Huntsville. 
Earth Coast, the Earth Coast, Jesus, East Coast, Alex, Jeff Y, Alan Titus. Man, this is a long list. <laughs> Gotta make these harder. Peter Ryan, Lou, Sweet Lou, Grilly, Cincinnati Joe, Jeremy, who shot JR Rodwan, Debbie Hart, Just Jeff, the Tromboner, and Jason in Memphis. You got it. Take it. Take a shot now. Okay, so uh, let's spin the wheel. Find out who takes home the uh, postal friendly bottle opener. One, two. <laughs> Looks like it's gonna <laughs> land on. I think it's actually pronounced Shari in Oviedo. If I remember, but I correctly. say Shari. Yeah, that's fine. Oviedo, by the way, is. Just north of Orlando, north north oh. east. It's over near where the University of Central Florida is. Nice yeah, little suburb. Cool. They have a really cool arcade bar called Arcade Monsters that I've been to, where you Ooh. pay a flat fee and you go in, you can play all the games you want. Oh yeah, we yeah. went to one of those in uh, right outside of Nashville. Mm. What a cool concept! Anyway, uh, Shari, send us your your postal address, and we'll get you some swag. In the meantime, this week's challenge is from the same period of time as this week's show, so somewhere between 73 and 75, and it's by a UK band. And it, too, is a Just Miss the Biscuit song that uh, got to number two and no further. Pay attention. Here it is. If you know it, email us at podcast at sit80s.com. You know, it's funny when I'm sick when I say the, the, the email address, it just sounds wrong. Like I'm, I'm convinced that I'm just saying it wrong. Uh, and tune in sit80s.com. Yeah, it just doesn't sound right to me. And tune in soon to find out if you're a winner. Yeah. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Now some weekend when it's raining and your mother is complaining because you're hanging around just twiddling your thumbs. Tell your mom that you've been itching to make something in the kitchen. And oh yes, the mess will be a minimum. But the thing that's going to please her is you make it in the freezer and nothing could be easier to fix. Now just watch as I go through it. Really all you need to do it is some kind of juice and just a few toothpicks. Okay, now take an empty ice tray and fill it up with orange juice or lemonade or pomegranate juice or whatever turns you on. Then cover the tray with plastic wrap, carefully poke the toothpicks through the plastic, put it in the freezer, and in a few hours, presto, stacks of snacks. Don't wait until it rains before you try this nifty trick. You'll have a fun time making sunshine on a stick. And we're back. We've got a few minutes left. We were going to do a take this job and shove it, Seggy this week but i there's not much for me to update you on as far as the job search goes i've been waiting over a week now after my fifth round of interviews with one company to find out if i got the job or not i'm assuming at this point i didn't get it so the the search will begin you, you don't know you five rounds five rounds but they went really fast and they said oh this is a job we really wish we need to hire asap and, and, but then now it's been a week it's been a week oh. and a half so I might well, people have different ASAPs, right? <laughs> so to them, ASAP might be within the next month, by yeah. the end of the month. So I so I don't even want to talk about jobs. I, I applied for like three more today through LinkedIn and we'll just see what happens. But um yeah, my my uh whatchamacallit's run out. <laughs> Every 
uh, my severance and all that sort of stuff. So it's, I bought my first uh, little jumbo box of ramen noodles over the weekend. <laughs> so that's. Did you get the variety pack? No, I think it's all roast chicken. Chicken, pork, beef. Oh, yeah. It's all roast chicken. So maybe if I'm lucky, I'll put a can of peas in one of them or something like that and turn it into a real it feast up. like it was in college. Anyway, um, I wanted to take a minute. It's been a while since we thanked our patrons. Uh, it, if you want to support the podcast these days, the best way to do it is through Patreon. If you go to www.patreon.com slash stuck in the eighties podcast, you get a chance to become a patron. It's as little as $2 a month. And then you get, in, you get a blog. We, we do, uh, Brad's been posting all his vacation photos and stories on Patreon. Um, I, when I do an interview, with somebody I post, I always record video by the way, these days, and I post the video of the interview on Patreon, uh, Patreon for them to see. And then we also have a monthly, usually happy hour on zoom or a virtual drive-in theaters. So want to thank some people in particular that we haven't had a chance to thank yet. Uh, Brian McGow, Dan Witt, uh, Chrissy L, Robbie Sprouse, and special thanks to, to Ward Baker, who's been extraordinarily supportive as I go through this period between jobs, uh, I can't thank you all enough. You're, you're you are real menches and uh, means a lot to us. Talking about being able to follow the adventures of Brad in in Scandinavia, he's been defacing all these properties all over Scandinavia with the the stickers. Yeah, he's been putting stuck in the eighty stickers all over Scandinavia. Yeah, it worries me to some degree because. Haven't people in Rome gotten into some trouble lately for like defacing the Colosseum, you know, scratching stuff into the walls? And so, the last thing I want is the Dutch showing up on my doorstep, you know, are you stuck in the 80s? It's like, no, I think it's okay because it's not like the uh, the the web address is on there or anything that they could identify you. <laughs> yeah. You are stuck in the 80s, are you not? No, no, I love the spin doctors, it's not me. You know, so uh, <laughs> anyway, hope you enjoyed our uh, just missed the biscuit part one. We'll we'll finish up the 70s in the next show, probably, and then finally venture into the goodness that is the 80s. Uh, but in the meantime, Chuck Coverley and myself remain here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music, and thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.